Good morning. Thanks for listening. Beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. Blue skies. Nice, cool, crisp out here. I'm uh, out here at 6.30 recording this podcast and sitting outside drinking a nice cup of coffee. The whole neighborhood's asleep. That's why I might have to keep my voice down, actually, because I'm looking around just now, realizing there's some open windows around. So um, you might say, they might say, why is this guy making noise? At 6.30 in the morning while we're trying to sleep. I might, however, describe that as, why is this guy giving you a live, exclusive opportunity to listen to the Polyguglielmo podcast before anybody else? I mean, that's just two different ways of looking at the same thing, right? Oh, man. Can we talk real quick about placebo effect? I was just watching this thing about... I watch a lot of it. Like, I'm the type of guy... I guess this is good, but I'm a nerd about, like, my profession, right? And I'll... What I do is I watch a lot of YouTube videos on things having to do with my profession. So I was just watching something about marketing and about um, private labeling. And they were using Excedrin as an example about how Excedrin and, uh, will occasionally, and I think probably all pharmaceutical drugs, this is probably pretty common, but um, it's probably common beyond just the drug industry too. But that basically they will re-release things under different names at higher prices if they're very popular. The example at hand here was Excedrin Extra Strength has the exact same ingredient statement as Excedrin Migraine. And now I'm here to tell you, just for a quick moment here, that it, ingredient statements being identical doesn't necessarily mean the recipes are identical. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Not to go all nerd here, but basically, Ingredient statements have to be written in the order of predominance. So let's say, just to keep this super simple, let's say your recipe has tomato, onion, garlic, oil. That's it, right? There are uh, 100 pounds of tomato, there's 5 pounds of onion, there's 4 pounds of garlic, and there is 3 pounds of oil in your recipe. Okay, so your jar will say tomato, onion, garlic, oil. Got it? Okay. Now the next person comes, their recipe is tomato, onion, garlic, oil as well, but their recipe has 100 pounds of tomato, 50 pounds of onion, 50 pounds of garlic, 40 pounds of olive oil. Those are going to be two very different tasting sauces with the exact same ingredient statement. So I will say that in defense of ingredient statements. However, this was by a pharmacist who thought that she was kind of like blowing up the system and exposing and saying, look, these are the exact same thing. So we'll take her word for it that they're the exact same thing. They basically have Excedrin Extra Strength and Excedrin Migraine. Migraine being a few dollars more expensive than the Extra Strength and being basically the same product. And what's the problem with that? And, you know, to the naked eye, of course there's a problem with that. It's it's scheming, right? It's marketing. It's scheming. Marketing's a big part of the world we live in, though, frankly. It just is. It's how the world works right now. But... Like I said, can we talk about placebo effect? I believe there's an actual chemical difference between those two products. Let's pretend just for a moment that they are the same. That this is some scheme by Excedrin. That they're going to come out with Excedrin Migraine and charge more for it just for the fancy packaging. They change the colors and they put the name Migraine on it and now people will pay more. Let's assume for a moment that's true. Okay. If I have a migraine... And I buy a package on it that says migraine, and I take that pill. I actually believe I have a better chance of recovering from my migraine than if I get the other one. You want to know why? 
placebo. It's freaking real. It's real. I didn't study a lot in college. I was a psychology major. All we really did was study studies. No, literally, we studied studies. That's what you do. You want to be a therapist? That comes in graduate school. You want to be a psychology major in college? You study studies. <laughs> and every study has some sort of a control or a placebo effect. And that shit works, man. That shit absolutely works. Placebos do, unfortunately, work. Anyway, gorgeous day. Looking forward to another day here at the uh, Cornhill Arts Festival today. Come and see me on South Fitzhugh. I will be there between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. today. Cornhill is one of the best festivals in this town. And I think it, it's, you know, it's very well attended, so it's hard for me to say it's, quote, under the radar. But it doesn't get the mainstream hype that the other ones get. Like Lilac Festival, even Park Ave Fest, which obviously is a different story. But Park Ave Fest, Lilac Festival, they get just a ton, absolute ton of hype. Uh, and Cornhill just kind of flies under the radar, you know. I mean, I think if you watch traditional media or listen to traditional media or read traditional media in Rochester, you might see a, you know, a Spectrum news spot on Saturday and Sunday night, you know, a quick minute from the Cornhill Arts Festival or something. But you, you, you don't get the coverage Lilac and Park Ave get. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. It's not run professionally. Now, it's run well. It's run very, very well. But it's not run technically professionally. It's all volunteers. Cornhill. People don't realize that either. Cornhill is all that like neighborhoods association at Cornhill runs that thing. Everybody there is just a volunteer. So they do a phenomenal job for that. But when you think about Lilac, you know, that's run by Springit Group. Like that's a that's a group of professionals there. So there's a big, big difference for sure. I mean, Springit's got a marketing department. You know? <laughs> Cornhill's got a bunch of people who get home from work for a few weeks and then do extra work to try to make this festival happen so really pleasant though if you don't get to Cornhill Arts Festival it's a really pleasant festival I think it's a it's one of the best this, I, I call it one of the, my top five my top five have always been Lilac Festival Fairport Canal Days uh, Letchworth Arts Festival for sure Cornhill Arts Festival and I guess fifth one I, we would say Park Ave Fest even though this year it doesn't exist I guess if if you can't have Park Ave Fest then I would sneak maybe Naples Grape Festival into my top five. But, yeah, anyway, great festival. Hope you'll come out. Had a good time yesterday talking to people. It is exhausting. I mean, you know, the mental work is harder than the physical work. And I noticed this even in, in my day job working at the plant, the occasions that I get to go and work in production or on the line or anything, um, I do notice physical work. It's, it's taxing. Don't get me wrong. It's hard. I'm not, it's, nothing's easy. There's no, nothing, nothing at all that's easy. And there's a mental part involved in that. But the, I don't know, the mental alertness required to just like interact with humans in a professional way literally all day with no breaks is freaking exhausting. Really exhausting. And 99% of the people that come up to my booth are really wonderful people. But you get the one in a while. <laughs> I didn't have anyone rude yesterday, in fairness. But you do get people who ask some questions where you're going, what? Like, like this one, this wasn't yesterday, but this was recently at the Cuke Arts Festival. I had a woman come up to my booth, and she looks at all my sauces, and I've got, you know, 10 different flavors, all different labels. And she looks at me, she looks up at me, and she actually asks me, she says, why do they all have different color labels? And I was so confused at her question. 
because I'm going, is she asking a question like from an artist's perspective? Like, why would we do different colors? Or is she asking a question where she literally doesn't understand the, that these are different flavors? And so I just, I, I was embarrassed thinking I didn't understand. I was like, oh, she's probably the smart one. I'm the dumb one. I don't get what she's asking. So I just said, well, they are different flavors, ma'am. And this woman looked up at me and she went, they're different flavors of sauce? And that was the moment I realized, oh, no, actually, I am the smart one in the conversation. <laughs> so I said, yes, yes, ma'am, yes. And I walked her through what they are. And, boy, she just looked up at me again, and she was like, oh, wow. And then I thought, man, a simple trip to the grocery store must be like a trip to Disney World for this woman if this was breaking news to her, that different jars and different colors would be different flavors. What a world we live in. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, Cornhill's been great. Um, Redbird Market's been great, too. I want to thank everybody. There's been a, a ton of support for Redbird Market. Of course, my involvement in Redbird Market is minimal. That's my wife and my mother-in-law. But a lot of people have been saying things to me, and I appreciate that. And uh, we, we do. Our whole family appreciates it. Redbird Market, is, uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I get to hear about it. Really, is dinner conversation, for the most part, is how I learn things about Redbird these days um, but it's been really interesting watching them kind of figure out like what items will sell what items won't sell and you know in some cases learning the hard way like uh i don't want to bring up any names because I, I really just i don't want to shit on anybody local ever but there's been a couple of things that that have come in and just they're just sitting there collecting dust and then meanwhile other things that come in and boom they're, they're they run off the shelves fast and i don't know i've always noticed that um I actually went out to dinner this week with Nat from uh, Nat's Nuts. If you know, you've probably seen him at a bunch of markets, and he's got his products out now in stores, too. And he does, like, um, if you ever go to a festival, like Cornhill, for example, there will be people selling those mixed nuts. You know how it always smells delicious. It's like cinnamon-glazed almonds or something. He does those but packages them and sells them into stores. And I, I was out to dinner with him this week, actually. And um, we were talking about the the odd nature of having some stores where your product flies off the shelves and other stores where it just doesn't. And sometimes it's obvious as to why. And then other times you just can't figure it out. Like I think I've said on this podcast before, you know, we fly out of Pittsburgh dairy, we fly out of Leo's bakery. And then there's this, this, you know, legendary sub shop on the West side called caliber Sellers, where all of my friends, all of my colleagues brag about just how they fly off Calabrasella shelves I don't think I sell more than a jar a month at Calabrasella <laughs> like I'm walking in the gates going dusting off the jars <sighs> so I don't know sometimes it's sometimes the code is very crackable and you can go oh this is obviously why we do or do not do well in this particular store and then other times you're just going I don't get it you know I don't get it so anyway um, but Redbird's been a lot of fun so far. They're having a good time. They're figuring it out. Please pay them a visit. Uh, they've got some really great stuff going on in there. My wife is now a peanut butter making master, so that's been fun. <laughs> uh, let's get into some actual topics for a moment. I want to talk about this trade of Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers because 
all of a sudden, I don't know if you know this or not, not enough people are talking about this, and I don't understand why this is not an actual headline, because this will be so much fun to watch, even for non-fans of the Browns or the Panthers. Do you realize the Browns and the Panthers play each other in week one? Do you know that? I know that. Most people, most Browns fans know that, but for whatever reason, that's not getting any hype right now, and... I mean, there's a really good chance Baker Mayfield starts for the Panthers. Now, here's what's really embarrassing is that there's also a chance he doesn't because he is uh, in a quarterback room with Sam Darnold down there, both guys having very similar stories, both guys showing a ton of promise, high draft picks a few years ago, didn't really work out with their first teams, and now they're hoping to catch on at their second team. And I honestly believe this is going to knock one of the two out of the NFL. Whoever wins that starting job, Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield, they have a shot to prove themselves. They're getting a second chance here to prove that they are who they say they are. Whoever doesn't win that starting spot between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, how do you how do you survive that? Like who let's say the Panthers pick whoever they pick. How do you be any other NFL team and see the other guy as a worthwhile chance to take. I don't know. I that's it's tough to me. I will tell you there's one team and I've said this a million times on and off the podcast. One team that I think should be interested in Baker Mayfield. Just because this is me being a completely cloudy-headed Browns fan, but also I'm looking at the facts here. If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm doing anything I can to get my hands on Baker Mayfield. Why? Because there is absolutely no better motivator in this world than revenge. <laughs> and Baker Mayfield having the opportunity to play in division against the Browns in Cleveland once a year. Oh, man. Oh, man. I got to believe, you know, if I was the Steelers, I would be calling up Carolina saying, name your price, man. Let me get this guy. And the Steelers, who is the Steelers quarterback? You're going to kill me for not knowing, but... Roethlisberger retired, so whatever, whoever it is, it's not a guy. I don't think they have a guy in place. Wait a second. If only there was a mechanism where all of this information lived at all times that I could just look up. Pittsburgh Steelers QB. Sorry. Mitch, oh, Mitch Trubisky. Okay. So they got a guy. They got a filler. Trubisky. Maybe Trubisky's going to be good. Maybe he'll be great. But he's Mitch Trubisky. He's not managed to become a superstar in his previous stops. If I'm the Steelers, I might take a chance, and I might say, let me see Baker Mayfield for a second, because he's motivated by something that Mitch is not, that most quarterbacks are not. He's got a hate-filled heart. And that might be the key to just him kicking it into the next gear, because he's getting, Baker Mayfield is getting beat up online right now, because... The Athletic did a report, and in the report there were some details about what exactly Baker Mayfield did to turn everyone off in Cleveland. Because we as Browns fans saw him be pretty passionate on the field. We loved the passion on the field. But we also saw him you know, make a lot of boneheaded plays on the field and just look like he just wasn't good enough a lot. Like I saw this, oh God, I saw this hilarious meme. And I might be the only one who finds this hilarious, but I saw this really funny meme. Of, uh, it was a uh, it was a guy who had run for two yards on a football. It was a it was a football play, and he had like scrambled basically, and 
you know, blew up a play and then scrambled and gained two yards. And then he popped up celebrating, like intensely celebrating, like, yeah, yeah. And somebody wrote on it and said, Baker Mayfield, week one versus Cleveland, after ignoring reads two through four, scrambling and gaining two yards on on a fourth, on a, sorry, on a third and seven. <laughs> That was what it was like to watch Baker Mayfield. It was like, it was like he he misses two open receivers, does a little lolly loo in the backfield, manages to break free, and gains two yards on a third and seven, <laughs> and then pops up going, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I find this so funny, but <laughs> that's what it was like to root for Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was the king of the four-yard pass on the third and 12. You know, like, that was, that was Baker Mayfield, man. So, at least he brought passion, or he brought what appeared to be passion. But anyway, The Athletic does this story on Baker Mayfield, and in it they expose that apparently last year, the week before they played Green Bay, which I think was either Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, he played something like 10 hours of Halo and then showed up and threw four interceptions instead of doing more, I don't know, practice or, or just watching film. And somebody who's friends with him on Xbox, I guess, screenshotted his actual time played. And it said, Baker Mayfield has spent nine days, 21 hours, and 45 minutes playing the Halo Master Chief Collection. I mean, I don't know. He's a twenty. Isn't Baker Mayfield like twenty four, twenty five years old? Married, no kids. Got a job that only requires him to work a few hours a day. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm gonna defend the the video games. Now, during the season when you got a big game coming up, national TV playing against the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. If it's true, if he played ten hours that week, and then came in not knowing the game plan. That's a big problem because you'll remember, and this is what the 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 the, uh, the report alleges. You'll remember that was the week where he had COVID, I guess. So he was quarantined. So he was stuck inside and isolated, and so he chose to use that time playing video games instead of studying game tape. Well, look, what happened to me? What did I tell you? What did I tell you a month or two ago when I had COVID? I told you I was home, and I had a list of reading material and viewing material that I wanted to get to in regards to my profession. And while I got to a little bit of it, what did I tell you I did? I streamed. I streamed on Netflix. I think I watched Ozark. So I'm no better. I get it. Sometimes you need a break. I just got done telling you about Cornell, about how hard the mental just being on mentally is all day. Sometimes you just need to give your brain a vacation. Like, you know, I'll get home from these festivals, and I will literally just ask my wife, can I just have 20 minutes to sit alone and stare at my phone? Why? I need the dumbest possible content I can find. What am I doing in those 20 minutes? Not answering emails, not answering text. I'm literally watching TikTok videos purposely, because it feels like my brain is being given a 20-minute vacation when I'm watching stupid TikTok videos. That's it. Maybe that's what Baker needed. Tough, though. Tough when you're getting paid that kind of money. 
to be on a national spotlight where you're already under a ton of scrutiny. Tough. Tough call to make. I will admit that. I will. Anyway. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, R.I.P. Tony Sirico, Polly Walnuts, from The Sopranos. Now that was a show. You don't need me to tell you how good of a show The Sopranos was. One of the best of all time. Polly Walnuts, one of the best characters. I mean, that show did such a good, unique job of finding the right people. Because I think, you know, they had Silvio, right? Stephen Van Zandt, who really wasn't an actor, who they pulled in to play that role. They had Polly Walnuts, Tony Sirico. I think he, I think he was an actor, but he had some sort of legitimate ties, or at least alleged ties, to old school mafia stuff. So he was a little bit more, I guess, just guys who just felt a little bit more authentic in those roles, right? Like like um, Stephen Van Zant, no mafia ties that we know of, at least, but was it was a New Jersey guy. Stephen Van Zant was a guy who was born and raised in the spot where he where, where Silvio was supposed to have been born and raised. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Just such a brilliantly cast show. And Polly Walnut's one of the best characters on that show. Just fiercely loyal. You know, like, <laughs> just, he was just... I was, I've been watching so many compilations of old Polly Walnut's stuff from The Sopranos, and he was just such a great, like, comedic relief while also... Totally being able to bring in the sinister element, too. Sopranos did a great job of that. You know, every episode had drama. Some episodes had real sinister violence and, and evil things. Uh, but they also all had little spots of comedy. And, like, Polly Walnuts was oftentimes one of the comedic reliefs in that show. And uh, rest in peace to him. <clears throat> um, there was a short period of time... When Sopranos first came out, where I started being, it was actually the first time I was ever called Polly. People start calling me Polly Walnuts because before, I think I told you before Rochester, I was never Polly. I was always Googs. I was everyone always called me Googs. And the one little difference, or I guess the one really little exception to that, was when Sopranos came out. And start, people, I, I had a, a few people that would call me Polly Walnuts all the time, but. Sopranos was uh, the last time I remember having true honest-to-God appointment television. True honest-to-God, like Sunday night, 9 o'clock, HBO, got to be home for it. you know. And I do think, I, I mean, I think it, DVR started to exist at that time. So I don't think it was truly necessary to be home. Uh, but it was the type of thing, it was the last time I remember, other than sports, knowing that I had to be in front of the TV at a certain time to watch a scripted TV show. I can't think, when else does that happen? I don't think that happens anymore, period. Anywhere. Uh, let's talk about the podcast going forward. I was supposed to have <coughs> uh, Nat from Nat's Nuts, actually. Well, in fairness to him, no, I wasn't. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. When I went out to dinner with him this week, I brought my podcast equipment. And then I sprung on him right at the last minute. I was like, hey, I got my stuff. You want to do a podcast? And unfortunately, he had to go. He had promised his wife he'd get home. So we weren't able to do it. But hopefully we'll get Nat on. Uh, do you still have Emily King, TikTok influencer from Webster? She's coming up sooner than We don't have an actual record date on that yet, but that will be coming up. Also yesterday, spent some time with Matt Petrillo of the Meatball Truck. He was funny. He was driving around Cornhill Fest in one of those, like, four-wheelers. Um and I was walking to the bathroom, and he picked me up, and he goes, get in this thing. And he starts freaking flying. And when I say flying, I mean, you know, he's going like seven miles an hour. But 
compared to what I was doing, walking. He starts flying. He takes me to the bathroom like a concierge service. And then we get back. We're talking about sauce and, you know, maybe making some meatball truck sauce, which I think would be great and everything. But, um, but yeah, he uh, he said, what are you doing? You're not doing any radio? I said, no, I do this podcast. He said, I want to be on the podcast. I said, I would love you to be on the podcast. He's got all kinds of of uh, Rochester food roots. Matt runs the meatball truck, of course. But remember, his grandfather was the founder of Antonetta's. His his stepfather is uh, the founder of Yancey's, or is it Yancey's Fancy? Yeah, the Cheeses, right? Which is like a super popular cheese company, which I think went on to become hell of a good, or maybe I'm getting my, I might be getting my stories mixed up a little there. But anyway, his 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 stepdad is a, you know, cheese legend. His grandfather was a, an old school Italian food legend. Speaking of legends, speaking of legends, Friday night, wife and I went to see Mean Girls at the Auditorium Theater. And we went to Char ahead of time to get a cocktail. And we saw, uh, of course, my old friend from the radio days, Kevin Parker from Garber Honda, was there. And also, a uh, guy comes walking in, big guy comes walking in. I go, that's Frank Guido from Guido's Pasta Villa. Shook his hand, said hello. My wife uh, got to meet him for the first time, and I started telling my wife, I go, that dude is Rochester food royalty. That's Pasta Villa. You know, because my wife is young, so she's watching, like, she's she's aware of a lot of the sort of the young, hipper, trendier kind of, like, Instagram foodie accounts and they don't tend to pay a lot of homage to the OGs in this town in terms of food. And that's fine. I mean, you know, they're always kind of onto the hip, trendy, cool, whatever's new, cool, hip, and trendy. But it is the one thing about our generation, millennials and especially now Gen Z, where we're getting beat up a lot on, is we don't have a ton of loyalty in the food and drink scene. Now, the positive is we'll spend money. We're not cheap. We're not always looking for the deal. We're, we're fine spending whatever we need to spend, but we don't have a ton of loyalty. That's the one knock our generation and the younger generation, the Gen Zers, get, is that we are just always looking for the new, cool, hip thing. And I've always kind of had that beef where I've always felt like the, you know, they're all just kind of covering the, the, the new, hard-to-find, you-haven't-heard-of-this-yet stuff, and not a lot of time is spent covering the original Italian, or not, I shouldn't just say Italian, the original Rochester food scene. And that's like a pasta villa, right? Like a pasta villa doesn't get the love. I don't think any food blogger in Rochester has ever covered pasta villa. Meanwhile, I sit with the guy, Frank. I've sat with him, you know, a dozen times. And we've talked about food. Frank's very knowledgeable about food. Frank, uh, Frank's got a sauce recipe that I always say this, and and Frank's the one who's a little bit wrong, makes me wrong, is I've seen a thousand sauce recipes. They're all pretty similar to each other. Honestly, all sauce recipes are like first cousins of each other. Frank Guido, Guido's Pasta Villa, actually has one thing about their sauce, which, of course, I can't disclose because of confidentiality, that is different. One thing that where I, I look at it and I go, well, that's different. You know, I've not heard that. I've not, I've not really seen that put into practice very often. And... Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to say that. I just want to say I'm glad I didn't plan on talking about this, but I I do feel like the OG's, the original Rochester food scene doesn't get enough love out of the uh, current sort of local young 
I, I don't know. I wanted to use the word blogger, but that just shows off my age because it's not even blogging anymore. I think they call themselves creators now, content creators. They used to be foodies. They hated that. Then they were called influencers. They hated that. Now I think they go with content creators. Um, but you know who does do a good job of that? Speaking of the OGs, is my girl uh, Steph of Sip and Savor, and also uh, Lynn Phillips of Sriracha says. The two, speaking of OGs, they're two of the original Rochester food content creators. And uh, they both do occasionally, if you watch their feeds, they will pay some homage once in a while to some of those OGs. And I would say uh, the the young people should do more of that. Anyway, sitting at Char next to Frank Guido, and I start telling my wife who he is, and she gets all excited. She starts texting her father to be like, I'm sitting next to a celebrity. Which, meanwhile, yeah, I, I mean, OG food Rochester guy, yes. Celebrity, maybe. <laughs> She's texting her dad, and her dad starts getting, like, all excited. Her dad's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. You're sitting next to Frank Guido. Wow. Like, I thought it was really cool. And then we went to see Mean Girls, which we absolutely loved. Mean Girls was so good. It's one of those shows I've been looking forward to all season. I think it was actually technically the last show of the season for last season and it was weird going to the theater in july because oftentimes the broadway season in rochester will go september through may so this was kind of weird i think we're still seeing some covid ramifications in the way that the shows are being scheduled because i think next year it does start in september and go until either either may or maybe early june i'm not sure but generally the the theater is off from broadway shows for at least the the summer season of like mid to late June through mid to late September. Um, But this was a rarity, and again, I think we're seeing the COVID ramifications. But Mean Girls was so good. I mean, they really did. They did a good job of adapting that to a musical. Very funny, lighthearted, but with some serious stuff in there as well. Just enough to teach a couple of moral lessons and get a couple nice little rounds of applause out of the crowd. Uh, It was really good. Really, really good show, and they do such a good job at the Auditorium Theater, too, as well. So good to be there. Interesting to be there in shorts. I was a little worried about going in shorts, but everyone was wearing shorts, so I was fine. It was hot. All right, that's it for the podcast. Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.